Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm your host, Chelsea, and with me is my co-host, Arzu. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited. We are starting a brand new podcast together. And gosh, I'm so excited. I don't know where to start because I get to do a podcast with my bestie and we're going to have the best time. Um, So a little bit about us. So some of you may already know Arzu because she is an editor here at the Kiki Waffle and hosts Space Waffles. Would you like to tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Yes. So for those who don't know me, I, as Chelsea said, I'm Arzu. I am one of the waffles here at the Geeky Waffle Network. I am a writer on the site. I do the book reviews. I do some of the TV reviews. And I am the host of Space Waffles along with uh, our head waffle, Candice, um, which is our Star Wars focused podcast. Chelsea has been on it a few times, hopefully going to be on mm-hmm. it some more. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I do. And I help uh, kind of oversee everything here at the site. I edit our fan fiction focused podcast with Martin Busy. Now I just kind of feel like I need to name drop every other show. Um, Do it. Go for it. Yeah. You can hear me quite often on Starbucks Lovers, our Taylor Swift podcast. There is our flagship show, The Geeky Waffle, which is a monthly show now. Um, We have our Straight Out of Home video, which just concluded its Disney um, direct-to-home video run. We are now shifting into DCOMs, Disney Channel Original Movies, which is going to be exciting. Um, I'm forgetting somebody. And we have a new show coming very soon, if it's not out already, called What's Glup, which focuses on the glup shadows of Star Wars with our host, Katrina, who Ooh. has also brought back their show, Fight Club Far, Far Away. So we've got quite a bit on mm-hmm. the network, and it is all on the website in the show notes below. So much nerdy stuff to listen to. Oh, so much nerdy. And read. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have been doing some book reviews on the Geeky Waffle and I've guested on Space Waffles, I think, four times now. Um, and on the main show twice. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was really fun. And um, I remember when you started Space Waffles, I was just thinking about how, you know, you're you're the Obi-Wan to my Anakin, like, when it comes to <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> because, like, you know everything. And I'm like, I thought I knew a lot. And then I met you. I'm like, oh, I don't know anything. <laughs> I am not the most knowledgeable Star Wars person that I know. Um, definitely some of my friends in Star Wars sort of know a hell of a lot more than I do. Yeah, well, there's, yeah, I guess there's, like, a lot of relativity. I feel like, I mean, I was always a fan of the movies, but... Um, until I met you, I hadn't watched any of the TV shows or read any of the books. So thanks to you, I'm getting into all of that now. Um, to turn this into a Star Wars thing, but for those no. of you who are High Republic <laughs> fans, I'm trying to get Chelsea to read the High Republic. I It's on the list. I, just, I know your TBR long. is extremely long, but it the is. High Republic is on it. Yes, very high on the list, definitely. Uh, but yeah, one day I was sitting thinking about like, okay, if if our zoo is a star Wars expert, um, you know, what kind of expert could I be that she would be my Padawan for? <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I guess I would be Stargate because I grew up watching um, the Stargate SG one show and then going into the spinoffs Atlantis. And then as an adult watching universe um, and I've seen 
most of the Stargate SG-1 episodes, like, ten times at least. And um, Arzu, you've only seen the 94 movie in, like, the first couple episodes of SG-1. Yeah. We started um, watching SG-1 in grad school. I think we said right. that together too. And then uh, it was grad school, so there wasn't a ton yeah. of time to commit to Stargate. Yeah. But... Yeah, so I've I've seen the movie several times. It's a it's a favorite in my house. Um, I grew up with it. My parents both love it. So, yeah, we both have sci-fi parents. Yes, we do. They raised us right. They are why we're like this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, well, I feel like Stargate would be my thing that I could teach you about, and um, you were automatically like, well, let's just start a podcast about it. And I'm like, okay, well, um, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt uh, start a podcast exactly and uh i guess you wore me down eventually um because i was just like i don't know if i can handle hosting a, a podcast um but you're here with me so yeah i'm not alone and you're We're doing, doing it together so yay um <laughs> <laughs> so here we are two best friends who uh, met in grad school um starting a podcast together and it's gonna be great. It's gonna be exciting. Yeah. So today we're starting with the 1994 movie, and then we're gonna be moving on into the shows. And so the the shows do have different creators than this 94 movie. This the movie is basically like a jumping off point for the story, um, but the creators of the movie didn't really want to have anything to do with a TV show. Um, so that they are a little bit different in tone. But I think it is a good place to start with the movie um, because it really just introduces the concept as a whole of what mm -hmm. the Stargate is and how it works. Um, so then we're going to be, after the movie, we're going to be moving on to Stargate SG-1, which is the basically the flagship show, which ran for 10 seasons, um, 213 episodes between 1997 and 2007. And there were two spinoffs. There's Stargate Atlantis, which ran from 2004 to 2009, and Stargate Universe, which ran from 2009 to 2011. Um, canceled after two seasons because it didn't do great. It wasn't terrible, but also wasn't as good as the other two, unfortunately. And then in researching for this podcast, I discovered that there were two other shows that I didn't know existed. They made, they started a Stargate Origi Origins show and filmed a first season. And it did so badly that they compiled all the episodes into one movie and kind of re released it as a straight home video movie and didn't try to make anything more about that. So that show slash movie is about Catherine Langford for those of you who know that who that is we meet her uh, right away actually in this 94 oh. movie like why do yeah you know okay 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 <laughs> yeah yeah we're gonna talk about her um so that yeah that show slash movie um covers Catherine when she's in like her 20s or 30s I think um so a bit more of her like young adult life I'm and <laughs> the Rotten Tomato score for that show was 44%. So 
yeah, yeah, I can see why it got canceled pretty quickly. Um, and then I also discovered that there's an animated show called Stargate Infinity that did even worse. It has a score of 20%. It's gonna be so, it, so it got canceled after one season and it is not considered canon because of how bad it is. So I, I really want to watch it now, obviously, because I want to see just how bad it is. And like, what, what kind of bad is it? Is it actually bad? Or is it like, oh, this is amusing bad, you know? I'm that would be excited. fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are starting with the movie. So this 1994 movie, um, is directed by Roland Emmerich and written by Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich and stars primarily Kurt Russell and James Spader. Those were like the big box office names that they really wanted to get for this movie. Um, and they certainly deliver. They're pretty good actors. We have a really pretty, a really good cast, like a bunch of names kind of pop up that may or may not have been real big at the time. Um, but certainly are more well-known now. Like French Stewart is in there and uh, Richard Kind. So there's definitely some, some big names. people that pop up. Yeah. And even, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Um, Jimon Hansu? Jimon Hansu, yeah. Yeah. Which was, hello, that was a surprise. Right? He just plays a guard, a random guard, and he is in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, he's a, a superhero <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So this movie, it kind of covers, it's technically set in three different time frames, um, but it's primarily in, set in the year 1996. Arzu, would you like to give us a summary of this movie? Yes, I will, because I don't trust that you won't go into excruciating detail about this. <laughs> because I probably will. I'm not good at summarizing things. Okay, so the movie kicks off in 8000 BC. There is a short flashback where we see a group, a village, being visited by something from outer space. Smash cut forward to the 20s, 1920s, 1930s. Same rough spot in Egypt where we see a group of explorers, a bunch of locals working with a white guy who is overseeing it. I'm starting to sense a theme right off the top. <laughs> um, yep. So this explorer is Dr. Langford, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And he is there with his daughter, Catherine, who is mm -hmm. 12 or 13. Yeah. She sees a, a necklace that catches her eye. She grabs it and meets up with her dad just in time for them to uncover this thing that they don't quite understand mm -hmm. just yet. Smash cut forward again. We are now in the 90s. James Spader is looking as cute as he ever has. And he's giving, <laughs> that's me editorializing. Um, and he is giving a presentation on hieroglyphics to a less than receptive audience who are kind of nitpicking everything he is saying. So, oh, James Spader is not playing James Spader. Character is um, Daniel Jackson. Mm -hmm. So he is, Dr. Jackson is giving a presentation to a less than receptive audience only to leave and be intercepted by a much older Catherine Langford, who asks for his help with, she calls it a translation of hieroglyphics, but we obviously realize once he gets there that there's quite a bit more to it. There's this artifact that they had uncovered way back in the 20s with hieroglyphics on the side that they are looking to, 
to understand. So there's the team of academics working on it. And then we have the military side of things led by Colonel. General West. General West. No, I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking of Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's character is Colonel O'Neill. Colonel O'Neill. Led by Colonel O'Neill. See, I knew, I knew you were going (laughs) to jump in and be like, actually. So led by General West and Colonel O'Neill, who are, you know, where there is a sci-fi, there is a military. And they are, Mm -hmm. they are that military presence. So Dr. Jackson manages to translate everything on this. I'm just going to call it the Stargate because I've talked around it long enough, but that's what they found was the circular Stargate that you see on the poster, Mm -hmm. on the cover, on the everything. He manages to translate what's on it and they managed to get it operational. So what the Stargate essentially does is create a wormhole between two gates. They create the wormhole and they're like, I'm going to touch it. And what does that mean? They walk through. So Daniel Jackson, Colonel O'Neill, and a handful of his soldiers just head on through and end up elsewhere. Willy nilly. No plan in mind. No plan in mind. They just walk (laughs) on through. No, of course they have a plan. (laughs) Of course they do. But when it gets down to it, they just walk on through. They get there in search of civilization. They want to see what's on the other side. They're not entirely sure where they are, but they know that they're not in our, what word did they use? Not universe. Galaxy? Galaxy. They're not in our galaxy. So they want to kind of see where they've ended up. Yeah. And they encounter a civilization of, for all intents and purposes, humans. They don't know this for sure yet. Um, Obviously, there's that language barrier. There is the cultural barrier, but... They notice that this civilization does have an eye of broad displayed mm-hmm. and therefore they do have that commonality with the ancient Egypt of our world. And that kind of becomes a jumping off point to realizing who these people are and how they got there. And that is the central mystery of our story. Yeah. Um, it covers about the first half of the film. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about the whole thing. Yeah. So spoilers, if you haven't seen it, you really should. Before, uh, don't know why you're listening to this if you haven't oh, seen yeah. it. Yeah, definitely don't listen if you're not wanting spoilers, for sure. <laughs> spoilers for a nearly 30-year-old film. <laughs> so going back to the very beginning, um, I can tell you some really hilarious trivia about right, the opening that. sequence. So... The opening the sequence, flashback, flashback, the eight thousand BC yes, flashback. Yes, the eight thousand BC flashback. Um, so basically, there's this human boy that is taken from Egypt um, to be a host for this alien, and that this human boy, who later becomes this alien impersonating the god Ra, is played by Jay Davidson. Jay Davidson sounds like a diva. Okay, so he had nipple rings that he refused to take off. <laughs> and they didn't want them in the movie. So in this opening sequence of the movie, almost all of the shots of him are shoulder level and up so that you can't see his nipples. and whenever you can see his nipples it's very brief they cut away very quickly or they're covered with the costume later yeah and later on they're covered with the costume except that it it was so like uncomfortable to wear the costume that anytime they were done filming he would just like rip it off and like walk off set naked Well, listen, as somebody who had to take out a piercing for work, it was my cartilage, not 
mm. anywhere else. Um, sometimes the source of the piercing can swell up and you can't get the ring back in, which is yeah. why my cartilage piercing closed. So yeah. maybe that's why you didn't want to take them out. Uh, yeah, I mean, you fair. Want back in. <laughs> but there's a few other things that sound, make him sound like a diva too. So he read uh, his lines off cue cards because he couldn't remember them. Um, <laughs> and he um, didn't want, he'd only had one acting credit before this. And that acting credit, I think either, it, at least got him nominated for a major award and he might've actually won the award. I'm not sure. Um, but it made him highly in demand. And so they really wanted him for this, but he didn't want to take the job. And so he made what he thought was an unacceptable demand of 1 million and they accepted. So he, so, so he, he was, had um, to appear. He was cast in the crying. He was in the crying game. Yeah. Which um, got him an Oscar nomination. Yeah. And I haven't seen the crying game, but if you have trigger warning is necessary, but they cast him as the transgender woman in the crying game, who is the, uh, who is the plot twist of the whole movie. Okay. I, so that movie, movie aged very, very well. Yikes. Um, but yeah, that's more commentary uh, on the crying game than on Jay right. Davidson. Yeah. But well, and then apparently after doing this movie, he quit acting altogether. So he has two acting credits. Um, so I just, I just find it really amusing. <laughs> I mean, listen, he made his money and he walked away. Yeah. I mean, he really did. I mean, go for it. Go big or go home. <laughs> Advocate for yourself, Jay. Yeah, for sure. Let's see. Did you want to wax poetic about James Spader a little bit more? Listen, I have two types of man. Okay. Two, two types of men I like in fiction. And I know this is getting us off to a great start with me sounding extremely shallow, but it is what it is. Um, <laughs> two types of men. Tall, dark, and broody. Mm -hmm. Or just the sweetest, softest nerd boy. And right. James Spader yeah. falls into the latter category in this movie. Very much so. Yeah. And I was genuinely very surprised and this is not the first time i've seen this movie i grew up on this movie but now processing it in my 30s i'm like oh right watching I something see. as a kid versus an adult <laughs> i've even seen it as an adult it's just something i was like looking right but i'm like i see why james spader was such a heartthrob yes like, forget pretty and pink That's i'm not true. talking pretty and pink i didn't like pretty and pink but stargate mm -hmm. heartthrob status <laughs> I personally prefer um, the Daniel Jackson that they recast for the SG-1 show, Michael Shanks. I really loved his portrayal of Daniel Jackson, which I will talk about a lot when we get to the show. And it was very much like the show came out when I was a kid and it continued for 10 years. So the last few seasons of it, Michael Shanks had like started going to the gym and was like bulking up. And so it went from like, as a kid, me wanting to be Daniel Jackson. I was like, I want to be an archeologist who knows 27 languages to like, as a teenager, like, hello, Daniel Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I think it's very appropriate that we met in translation school and here we are watching a show where one of the main characters is hired for his yeah. translation skills. Yeah, he is a linguist. He is a linguist. He is intelligent. He is mm -hmm. nerd. He is something of a romantic. Um, he's empathetic. Empathetic. Mm -hmm. He's an, he learns quickly. Like he picks up the local oh, yeah. language very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. 
Um, although I guess he already kind of spoke it, but. Well, he knew how to read it, but he didn't know how it was pronounced. So that's. Yeah. Like he, he, like he even knew what the word was, but as with anybody who mispronounces anything, you can usually tell they learned it by reading. So. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. I just really, really like Daniel Jackson right out of the, right out the gate. This is my kind of guy. Yeah. Actually, one interesting point in this movie is that when they first meet the locals on this other planet, um, there are no subtitles given to the audience so that we don't know what they're, they're saying. But after Daniel learns the correct pronunciation for this language, then we actually get to know what they're saying. Yeah. As the audience, we get to know what they're saying. So like as Daniel learns, the audience is learning and we finally get past that language barrier. So I, love I thought that was a really that. cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that was a, that was a good choice there. That works really well. <laughs> I will say, I will say, and this is like something I kind of joked about off the top of like the white guy overseeing a dig, but you mentioned that this is going to be a recurring thing for the first little bit, but mm-hmm. they all kind of show up on this other world. They're presented with thousands of locals mm-hmm. who see them standing there. And I know it's got to do with the necklace he's wearing. Yeah. But the fact that the guy way at the back immediately drops down into a bow, like as everybody else does and nobody's questioning this. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's a little too far, but like, I get it from a storytelling perspective, but I'm like, I don't know that that would have been done had this been done today. Right. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense in the way that, so like on this particular planet, so reading and writing has been outlawed by Ra because he doesn't want the people to become intelligent enough to overthrow him. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's true. when so when a group of strangers comes in through this device that only a god knows how to use and they not only have a necklace that has the eye of raw on it but they also know how to read and write that is i mean that's huge that's a that's huge symbol of power i mean because when we get into when the team that goes through the gate meets these locals for the first time and daniel tries to write something in the sand and it's made very clear that you know writing is not allowed that's not a thing but also immediately we recognize your status here's a wife (laughs) i like that that's the assumption like you don't have to write but here's my daughter well it's like you are intelligent enough to know how to write therefore you are high status enough to deserve the honor of marrying my daughter and what a sweetie she is. Oh my god, she's amazing. <laughs> I really hate that the whole like forced marriage thing, but she is an incredible woman for sure. Yes, she is. I don't like that trope either. I think it's very uh it's very bold to make that assumption about other cultures and be like, of course we give away our women, but like it is what it is. Yeah, and it is what it is in terms of this movie, not and like Daniel shows that he is definitely an average man in the fact that like she presents herself to him and he takes a long look at her breasts before he tells her to cover back up. My read on it was his nerd brain 
short-circuited and he just <laughs> couldn't like the words were not connecting and they weren't coming out because he just like 404 error daniel jackson not found yeah but that's not i don't think that's nerd bright i think that's just like man presented with breasts and but, does not hesitate to enjoy them okay but had colonel o'neill been presented with breasts i don't think it would have taken him as long to either say let's do it or it's okay you can put a shirt back on he, he would have bounced back faster that's true whereas he dan was like uh <laughs> he generally has better reflexes <laughs> They improve as the as the show goes on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one thing to note actually is in this movie, so the character's name is Shauri, and they do actually change that for the show, and they change her name to Share, which I think it's just because it's easier to say. Yeah, I have the page open with the name on it because I didn't think I'd be able to say it without yeah. visual reference. <laughs> um yeah and so the the actress is incredible she is half israeli half egyptian so she's like perfect for this role yeah and she's just so sweet and also so strong and independent as well and Mm -hmm. yeah great character definitely was a good choice there i was gonna say one thing i really enjoy is there's a subplot with um with uh, Colonel O'Neill having just lost his son mm-hmm. um, who accidentally shot himself with his gun and sort of the relationship and friendship and sort of pseudo parental relationship. He strikes up with, I'm going to say this wrong. Scara. Scara. Okay. So it's exactly yeah. what it looks like Yeah, with, um, with Scara, who is mm-hmm. Shaori's brother. Yes. Um, who's like father is still very much around and in the picture, but they kind of do develop this this friendship, this kinship. Yeah. And it's just such a sweet part of the movie. Yes, it is adorable. And thankfully, this is something that they continue through with the TV show. Um, interestingly enough, the only two actors from the movie that carry through to the TV show is the actor that plays Skara and the actor that plays his father, Kasuf. Okay. So those are the only two that carry directly into SG-1. All right. Yeah, he did a, he did a good job. Yeah. Skara did. Yeah, he was great. But yeah, it was, um, it's not, like generally with stuff like this, when you have the hyper-masculine military who shows up in the society like you do have your intellectual daniel jackson-esque guy who will be like mm-hmm. no it's fine let's be friends and the the hyper military hyper masculine guys like let's shoot it and yeah. that's the attitude they maintain the whole time yeah and they usually wind up being the villain but what i thought was really nice was you know they do have those moments like o'neill does his crew does but then they overcome them they don't they don't let that be their sole dominating trait. Yeah. The whole time, like one of the men, I can't remember which one almost shot somebody when the sandstorm was coming in. Cause he didn't understand what everybody was freaking out about. And once they clear that up, he apologizes. Yeah. Which I thought like, I guess I'd forgotten that that happens. And I was like, Oh, I really wasn't expecting him to apologize. I was kind of expecting him to maintain that. Let's shoot it. Cause it scares me attitude the whole time. Right. So that was nice. I liked that. Yeah. 
Yeah, the uh, soldiers on this team start out like real a-holes, um, but they end up coming around to being some really good guys. And some of the characters um, from the soldier team carry over to the TV show and just not the actors. Right. Yeah. Colonel O'Neill carries over, right? Yes. Yes, he's one of the main people. Yeah. Colonel O'Neill and Daniel Jackson are two of the main, like, four people in the show. So, obviously, a big part of this movie is the villain. And it's going to be really interesting contrasting this villain in this movie versus in SG-1. Um, this movie sets up the villain as this alien being who looks kind of like your typical Roswell alien who comes to Egypt and gets you know, a human host because his body is failing, but that there's still like his alien essence or whatever is within this human body. And this alien has obviously some sort of special abilities uh, because he's really strong and his eyes glow. And so, but that's really basically it that we get for this movie. We don't really get a, a lot of information and setup for this villain other than he's a scary alien dude who impersonates <laughs> an Egyptian god in order to um, gain power and control over Egyptian society, essentially. And when the Egyptians kick him off of Earth, he has he's already taken some people over to this other planet, which another thing interesting is they don't name this planet in the movie. And so they do name it in the show. They name it Abydos. Okay. Basically, what I'll call it Abydos, since we don't have a name for it in the movie, uh, is basically his more or less primary residence. But he's, you know, flying around in his ship most of the time. But the people on Abydos are mining for a mineral, which they also do not name in the movie, but they do name in the show. At least I don't think they do. It's called Naquita. And so that's it's the material that the Stargate is made out of and it's not anywhere to be found on Earth. So I don't think they name it in the movie. Yeah, I don't think so. So he's using these people that he took from Egypt as slave labor on this planet to mine more Naquita to use for building more technology and things. Uh, but I mean, that's pretty much all that the movie gives us is that it's an alien dude. Uh, whereas in the show, we get a lot more concrete information. I really feel like the showrunners were like, the movie was great. The story was wonderful, but there's plot holes and like not enough world building. So I feel like they I just kind of... I don't know that I'd call them plot holes. Do you know what I mean? Because a plot hole to me means that like the plot doesn't make sense. Mm. And the plot does make sense. That's but true. if you had given it that much lore in a two hour movie, you would have lost your audience. Yeah, but if you want to sustain true. it for even a single season of television, like you need to do things like name the planet because they can't keep yeah. saying the other world. Like, yeah, you need to explain what Ra's deal is because he can't just show up and mug for the camera and hide yep. his nipples and then <laughs> you know peace out like that's not enough so you need yeah. to give them more to do exactly and they had to kind of edit what the alien looks like in order to make it 
make more sense for taking on a human host instead of it being like an essence being super imposed. Like I'm going to be super imposed, super, what's the opposite of super imposed? Like underneath the surface. Uh. <laughs> Whatever that is. Concealed beneath. <laughs> because it's, there's a scene where we can see like the alien's true face, like kind of shining through the skin of the human host. And that doesn't make a lot of like technical, like scientific sense when you're thinking about, okay, an alien where there's a lot of these aliens who are um, taking on humans as hosts and how does that work biologically speaking? And so they change the alien instead of this kind of Roswell looking alien to be kind of a worm snake like symbiote mm -hmm. who who enters a human body and takes it on as host kind of like a you know a parasite would wait so that's supposed to be the same race of aliens yes now that's a plot hole yeah see that's what i mean no because like it's not a plot hole for the movie it's a plot hole in the show well they basically reimagine what the aliens look like to make it make more sense. I thought it was a completely different alien. I'm like, yeah, because I've seen the first episode of the series. So I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. It's a completely different alien because they no. blew this one up. So. No, it's like a different. It's just a different. Of, like, it's a face <laughs> like creature. New look, new yes. vibe, new year, new me. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> and they also like tried to make some of the scientific explanations work a little bit better. So in the movie, Abydos is in another galaxy, uh, whereas in the show, they make Abydos be in the same Milky Way galaxy as us, just in a different solar system. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, do they ever say that, though, that it's in a different galaxy in the movie? Because that was my understanding. But did, are they ever explicit about that? I'm not sure that any... I don't think there's any specific lines about it. I think maybe it was just the, maybe in the director's cut, they mentioned it being in a different galaxy. There's a director's um, cut? Oh yeah, that's what I watched. That's where I'm getting all my extra info. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I might have actually, I don't know if I saw the director's cut or not. I have no idea. I watched it on my PlayStation, so I couldn't watch how much time was going by. Oh, yeah. It well, felt long though, so maybe it was the director's cut. <laughs> I don't think, well, the, with the director's cut, though, I think there's only, like, two scenes that are added in. It it's mostly just them, it's mostly just them talking over the whole thing. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Clearly, I'm the fake fan here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but in any case, um, yeah, so there's, there's some things that they kind of basically change a little bit for the show to make the world building a bit stronger and its foundation and so they could build off of it a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree that for the purposes of just this movie, it did a fine job. Like it, it did its job of telling a story and what it needed to tell. Yeah. I agree. One, one really random change that they make for the show is changing um, Colonel O'Neill's son's name um, from Tyler to Charlie. I don't know why, 
And they also changed the spelling of O'Neill's name. So in the movie, it's O'Neill with one L. And in the show, it's O'Neill with two L's. Hmm. So I, I'm not sure what the reason for that is. A typo nobody corrected. Yeah, maybe. That's probably what it is. They probably just didn't notice. Well, but there is a particular uh, scene that's fairly memorable in the show where O'Neill is like, and that's O'Neill with two L's, and then he holds up three fingers. <laughs> I feel like by that point, they caught on to their mistake. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're just making they're like, let's just roll with it. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> but there are some really good things that they, like, keep continuity-wise. So, like, in the movie, we can see that when they do activate the Stargate for the first time, it shakes the entire room quite a lot. And they do carry that over in the show where there's a plot point at one point where they talk about how it doesn't shake anymore because they put stabilizers on it. So when something happens and it does shake, then there's like a callback basically to the movie and why did it shake before kind of thing. So they do like still like pull really interesting little threads <laughs> for you to notice. <laughs> I like that they're making like, what is an objective filmmaking choice? Like, of course, the big thing shakes into like a plot point. Oh, yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, if we're going to go for 10 seasons. You lean into what you got. Yeah. Kind of like, too, how they made um, Daniel have bad allergies. Mm -hmm. They did it partially for just comedic effect in the movie. And then they carry that out in the show for more comedic effect. Like, oh, why not? <laughs> just less. He just continues to have really terrible allergies. And it's actually a major plot point in one of the episodes because the um, medication he takes to counteract his allergies helps him, gives him an advantage in an episode. Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Some random little threads getting pulled. <laughs> but no James Bader, though. No. No James Bader. Can I say something funny I noticed? Uh -huh. off the top um yeah. when you're when we're in the 90s and james Bader is doing his lecture and nobody's mm -hmm. listening to him mm -hmm. um and he's talking about the pyramids and somebody's mm -hmm. like well who built them like the people from atlantis ha 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 and like on the one hand it's funny that we have stargate atlantis coming mm -hmm. but i don't know if anybody here has seen the disney movie atlantis <laughs> yeah but that alone, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess this is kind of like Atlantis with the nerdy guy with the ancient language. Mm -hmm. And he gets pulled into this sort of sci-fi adventure. And I'm like, yeah. and then I start putting it together. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same plot. It's the same plot because he gets pulled into this. And part of the, you know, thing is them getting there. And then they meet the society and he's the first one to communicate. And then the princess shows up and he falls in love yeah. with her. And like. Yep. He stays behind and yep. all of this. I'm like, this is Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> Except in Atlantis, the team ends up being the bad guy. Whereas here, like the bad guy right. descends on a pyramid spaceship. Right. Yeah, totally. But otherwise, this is in Atlantis with the same movie. You know, I never thought about that, but you're so right. And I'm not mad about it because Atlantis no, not is at a great all. movie. <laughs> Atlantis is great. Yeah, that's so true. Hmm. But yeah, if, you, if you're if you an Atlantis kid and you grew up with Atlantis and you're like, should I watch Stargate? The answer is yes, it's the same thing. <laughs> Basically, just change all the names. 
basically, yeah. Well, you don't have like a a weird guy who likes to dig in the dirt. So, well, actually, I guess technically Daniel <laughs> likes to dig in the dirt because he's an archaeologist. So Daniel's both Milo and the, the mole guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just combining the two. Yeah. Man, that the more I think about it, the more it works. Beautiful. <laughs> telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> Um, well, talking about setting, one of my favorite things about this movie is like the the lengths that they had to go to to get these really cool shots. Mm-hmm. So all of the outdoor scenes are shot in Arizona. Oh, yeah. And um, it was so hot. It got up to like 123 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, which... I think I might have to interpret for you. I don't know how I'm many gonna, that is I'm Celsius. I'm going to check it. I'm going to check it's, it for the other 190 countries listening to us who don't like know what Fahrenheit is. 45 um, to 50 somewhere, probably. 50 degrees Celsius, which is yeah, which is unbearable. Yes. So it got up to 123 or 53 Celsius. And so for some of the scenes when they had like really wide shots and there was a lot of people in the background, they just had like stick figures with clothes on them so that they wouldn't have to have quite so many people in like the far, you know, corners of the shot. Um, But there were a few shots where they actually had a large number of extras. They had 1800 extras play the townspeople, especially in that the very last scene of the movie where they're like all running down the hillside at once. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just like thinking about 1800 extras, just like in 120 (laughs) degree weather. Yeah. So they, the director said that there were multiple people whose sole job was to hand out water. I believe it. Yeah. (laughs) And so they had a really interesting time because, you know, with all of these sand scenes, they want all this, the sand to look really clean and not have footprints in it. So they had to be really careful about where people were walking and things like that. And if the sand got, you know, too trampled by footsteps, then they'd have to, like, sweep it. it. Yeah. And so in the scene, like at the very end, when you have all 1800 extras come running down this hill, they, um, I guess, weren't very clear in their directions about which way the extras should run. Oh. And because there were nine different cameras filming. And I think they said, like, run towards the camera. So they ran to nine different cameras instead of to one central place. And so it completely messed up the shot. And so, like, we can't sweep such a large area. And so they called it for the day. And luckily for them, a sandstorm swept in that night and cleared the sand for them. So they were able to redo it the next day, giving better instructions, (laughs) able to finally shoot the scene correctly. (laughs) i just as somebody who used to wrangle background on film sets 20 backgrounds was a nightmare Mm -hmm. um 1800 makes me want to cry (laughs) and i know that they wouldn't put one 21 year old production assistant there to wrangle 1800 background but 
it still makes me want to cry. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then another cool thing is, so the we see one alien creature on this planet. And it's called a mastage, which I think it kind of looks like. Um, is it the bantha this, thing? Yeah, it looks like the bantha from Star Wars. It's just, um, it's a bantha. Like, it's basically, a bantha. <laughs> it's a bantha. We call it a message here. <laughs> um, so with that, so that one's really cool because like if it's, so if you're seeing a shot of it walking or running from fairly close up, it's a horse in a costume. If you're only seeing the head, then you're just seeing the head machinery, which is operated by a human. Um, and then there's running shots where you see the underbelly of it, and that is a dog. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they used a combination of like horses and dogs. Because the horses, like when you put the like this huge costume on them, it was really hot. So they could only put them on the horses for 20 minutes and then they would get overheated. And they could only so they could only do like one scene per day, basically. That's clever, um, though, that they found a way to work around it. Yep. And, like, sometimes they just had the machinery head, like, on a running track and just only shot the head as it moved. <laughs> so, yeah. I love learning about how they, like, manage these aliens. This is how you know. This is how you know this movie's been around in our lives for so long. We're <laughs> like, yes, the movie, but also. Listen. Let's look at the technical side of things. And, like, I do yes. think the technical side is very cool. Yeah, I do too. A really funny thing is like in the beginning when they're dialing the Stargate for the first time and you can see they have this like tracker board that's showing the pathway that the wormhole is connecting to to reach like this other destination. Mm -hmm. And so it's got like this kind of bullseye piece of plastic that's being dragged across this board. There's actually like a guy on the floor with two strings pulling it along, which I just find hilarious. <laughs> just thinking about a guy laying there on the floor pulling it. That's his job. <laughs> no, it was probably honestly a PA. Probably. <laughs> okay, so I think it's about time to wrap things up. What are some of your favorite things that we didn't talk about? Okay, I got two little moments that I want to mm -hmm. address. One of them yeah. is general, one of them is extremely specific. <laughs> my general moment that I really liked. Mm -hmm. I talked about Colonel O'Neill and Scara's relationship a little earlier. Mm -hmm. But one thing I really, really like specifically about like their friendship and not like O'Neill with the kids at large. Mm -hmm. I guess it does apply there too, but it's mostly like you see it with Scara is a lot of times in stories like this, there is this sort of implication that the badass military guy is kind of questioning the intelligence of the locals. And it takes mm -hmm. a minute for him to realize, no, I guess they're smart too. O'Neill never questions Scara's intelligence. His mm -hmm. sole concern is Scara's youth and his inexperience. Right. Is something you would broadly apply anywhere with any teenager. Yeah. So the, the fact that he, he, he questions his inexperience and then he learns to sort of trust him by the end mm -hmm. and like let him grow and let him go and all that was, you know, not something... I think I would have expected in a narrative like this. And again, I have seen this mm -hmm. movie processing it through this kind of lens now. Right. That was one. 
I think I that is, oh, sorry, can I interrupt? <laughs> I would say, I think that's a really good um, character development because we only see very briefly in the beginning of the movie that Colonel O'Neill loses his son because his son accidentally shot himself with his own gun with his service revolver. Mm -hmm. And um, then you see him coming to this planet with this young boy who is a bit older than his son was when he died, but it's like, no, I can't put a gun into the hands of a child. And then just seeing, you know, he's not my son. Like, I love him. I'm like a son, but he's not my son. And like, and he needs to fight this. to protect his home. Right. And I can't yeah. keep him. I can't keep him sheltered forever. Yeah. And then is. even, yeah, at the very end, realizing, you know, meeting these other kids, realizing that there is still hope in the world. There's a reason to go on. He is going back to earth with hope and Daniel is no longer scared for him because Daniel was really worried about his mental health, but it's like, no, Colonel Neal is going home with, you know, a fresh outlook on life. Like, yes, my son died, but there are reasons to go on. So I yeah. think meeting Scara was instrumental for him. Definitely. My other moment, it's very specific it's very specific in that it's a very specific moment, but it's not specific to Stargate or even to science fiction. And it is the way when Daniel decides that, hey, maybe Shauri is cute and she's right here. And hey, she's technically my wife and she's like consenting to all this. Just the way right before he kisses her where he reaches out and puts a hand on her cheek <laughs> is my kryptonite. <laughs> I got the vapors. I needed the smelling salts. <laughs> I was not well. Um, just 15 out of 10. I feel like I was a the plus. same way at the very end when we learned that Daniel is going to stay behind with her and the camera cuts to her and she looks so purely happy mm -hmm. that he's going to stay with her. It's just so innocent and sweet. It's because she so likes so the much. way he puts his hands on her cheek. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just, yeah, I love that moment too. Their connection is really sweet. Definitely. How about you? What, what's your highlight? Um, you know, I really enjoyed the costumes for Ra and like his guard and like, the people who were kind of around him. I thought they were really beautiful. And like in the movie, they make it so because like the the guards have these helmets um, that look like bird heads, mm -hmm. and they use CGI to have the helmets kind of retract into like a collar, essentially. Oh, I love that the look of it. Yeah, and the the effect of the call of like this whole helmet kind of piece retracting was really smooth and well done, and. I feel like they probably spent a lot of money on that CGI um, because like in the show they have similar helmets, but they're mechanical operated kind of. So they don't have that like very polished, smooth kind of finish. They don't have that um, Roland Emmerich money. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I really liked the, all of the costumes, um, but special shout out to the cat um, because <laughs> I'm a cat person <laughs> and there's a scene where Daniel is going up into the pyramid 
um, oh, he, he was shot. And so he was taken into the pyramid and put into the sarcophagus to get healed. And when he comes out of the sarcophagus, he wakes up, he walks out into the main area and there's this cat sitting on the throne, which, you know, obviously that's the place. That's where it belongs. Um, and it's like the cat wrote this movie. Beautiful orange and brown colored cat that is so cute. It like goes and rubs up against Daniel's hand. I'm like, I just want the cat. <laughs> I wish I was the cat. Um right. Either one, either one. I wish, either I, cat. I wish I could pet the cat. <laughs> I'd be happy either way. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, it's very on brand for me to notice the cat. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> next week we are going to be moving on to Stargate SG-1 and we're going to be covering the first two episodes, which is uh, Children of the Gods and The Enemy Within, if you want to watch along with us. Um, it is a kind of a, a long arc because Children of the Gods, the first episode, is actually a double-length episode, but it fits so well narratively with the second episode, Enemy Within, that I think they really need to be talked about in tandem. Um, so we're going to be covering that next week if you want to watch, watch with it. us. Mm-hmm. So you'll be, uh, you know, up to date on what we're talking about. And because uh, we're obviously going to be getting spoilers. So if you don't want spoilers, then get with it. <laughs> Watch the show. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. We'll probably have a lot of explanation about, like, specifically how the Stargate works and, like, how the alien uh, works since they do change it a little bit for the show. So, yeah. yeah, looking forward to answering all your questions. <laughs> Not too many, though. If it goes past those episodes, I don't want to know. That's true. That's true. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there when we get there. You're, you're going to have to, like, curb my enthusiasm for being... A lot a... of enthusiasm is going to be curbed on this show. Yeah. I'm like an encyclopedia. I'm like, here is all my knowledge. And you're like, hold on. <laughs> Bite-sized pieces, please. <laughs> okay. We have our own Twitter page. If you want to follow us at Wormhole Waffles on Twitter, you can find me personally at Chelsea Fairless. And Arzu, where can we find you? Okay, so before I do my own social media, I realized after I shouted out all the shows at the beginning, Candace, I'm so, so sorry. There's one I left out. And oh. it is, it's the other rewatch podcast on the network. So I really don't know how I left it out, but we have a Tangled rewatch podcast called Left oh, the yeah. Hair. Hosted That's by Candace and Krista. Yes, mm -hmm. it is. And I'm so, so sorry I left it out off the top. I, best for last. Best for last. Um, yes, exactly. Okay. As for my own social media, you can find me on Twitter at Arzu Amin. Uh, you can find the Geeky Waffle Network on Twitter at Geeky underscore Waffle. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at The Geeky Waffle. And we are at thegeekywaffle.com. That's where we post like the book reviews that Chelsea and I write. That's where we have all of our shows. So you can see what We've got what you're missing, all that good stuff. All of our TV reviews are on there. And we are also on Patreon, patreon.com slash thegeekywaffle. And that's where we post our waffles after dark stuff. Depending on how this goes, maybe we will do a wormhole waffles after dark. Absolutely. We definitely do one at some point. <laughs> I don't know when, but it's going to happen. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. And we will see you on the other side of the event horizon.